This is the Canoe Creek Podcast. Our vision is to help people in our community connect to God, grow in Christ, and go serve others. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Road, and our Sunday morning service times are 9 o'clock and 1030. Thank you for tuning in. I want you to envision for a minute this Christmas reading that we just had from Luke. These angels break through a veil that is very seldom broke through in our world. And they present themselves to shepherds who were probably blown away. But this is what I want you to envision. I want you to envision that these angels were engaged in a significant war. And, and they said, some, they, were given, they were given a task. They said, okay, we, we want you to break away from this fighting that's going on here right now. We want you to go down to earth, and we want you to present this message at this time because it's important. This is what needs to be done. And this is, a, this is essentially what happens, and it's a powerful truth. You know, as we recognize culturally, we have these wars that are constantly going on around us, whether they be literal or metaphorical, you know, warring for buying this toy or that thing, and they're in low low supply right now and high demand, or whatever it may be, this is a reality of the culture we live in. Well, you know what? Wars actually are a reality of the spiritual realm as well. You know, we're looking at the Christmas story through a very different lens this year, and it's one that I think is powerful. This message is one of those where it's very practical, but it doesn't invite you to do something practically. It doesn't say, okay, go home and do X, Y, Z, or throughout the weeks, you know, do A, B, C. We always want to try and provide some sort of practical element, uh, because that's what the scriptures do. They say, hey, this is the kind of person you can be, or these are the kinds of things that you should do in light of what Jesus has done for you. But what this passage we're going to look at today really presents to us in this Christmas theme and story is just something to know. It's something to believe. It's something to provide a sense of significant encouragement. And really, it's wrapped around a reality. There was war in heaven. I know that we don't all often see that. And, and this week and next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about war in heaven. And next week, we're going to talk about war on earth, which is presented to us through this scripture we're going to be looking at. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you see something and you just think, you take it for face value and you're like, okay, well, that's it. I saw it. You can't deny it. It's exactly what it looks like. For example, uh, this picture of uh, Prince William, I think it is. Not a very dignified picture of a prince who is, we're going to throw that up there, right? Yeah. That was the cue, by the way. Uh, Not a very dignified picture, right? I mean, this is a guy who represents the majesty and royalty of a a sovereign nation, so to speak. And you know what? When you look at this, you think, wow, that's not a really good one. Um, But maybe there's a different angle, right? Maybe there's a different way of seeing it. Maybe if you saw it from a different perspective, you would see something different. Say for a a straight front-on view, like you can see here. Radically changes the perspective on it, right? Uh, It helps you to see things in a different way. what, What this simple illustration reminds us is things aren't always as they appear. Things aren't always as they seem. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to use this simple little illustration to, 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 as a metaphor to say, what we see here on the earth, what we see, which is very real, sometimes is very difficult, uh, whatever it may be, it's a side view. And, and what 
God can present to us in heaven, in, in an earthly realm, where that veil is not always opened up for us to see. It's a full front view that gives us all the details that we need to know uh, to really have a better perspective and a better understanding. Now listen, this, this idea of a veil being torn open and us getting a visual behind the scenes into a spiritual realm. It doesn't happen often. And there's not a lot of people who get the opportunity to enjoy that. There are a few. I'm just going to name a couple. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then John, uh, who is writing this letter that we call Revelation for us, he, he wrote in chapter 4, After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. These kinds of incidences don't happen that often. I know we typically pray and we live in such a way that we always want to be on this mountaintop experience with God. But when we look at the scripture, some of those things that are highlighted that are those mountaintop experiences, there's a lot of just, you know, uh, plain experiences, many, many years of plain, just flat land going through the motions, day to day, doing what God has called me to do, kind of experiences. But every once in a while, we get these really powerful moments where God says, I'm going to break open this veil. I'm going to give you a vision of something that will remind you of something very important. That is, things aren't always as they seem. You know, John, his favorite command in this entire uh, letter that he writes to the church is, look. Or another word for it in some of the other scripture uh, translations is behold, which means look intently, look with memorization, don't forget what you're seeing, hold it, hold it close to your heart, or even more, so shape your worldview, shape your life, shape your actions based on what you see here. And so John is constantly telling us to look because he wants us to see that in spite of what we may be seeing here from the side, when you look at it from the front on, God is uh, at war for you and he is achieving victory for his church. And that's such an important reminder. Now, in this letter that he writes to us, this, uh, there's the chapter 12, which I believe is a theological uh, center uh, of, this, of this letter that he writes in many ways. It's an axis to the entire letter, in my opinion. And here's what's interesting about it. It's all about war. Something we don't normally talk about at Christmas time. It's about war in heaven, and it's about war on earth. It's about the war behind all wars. It's about a cosmic war that was fought by God for us. And here's the amazing surprise. The war that was fought in heaven was actually one on earth. Here's the point. Things aren't always as they seem. That's an important enough statement to actually throw it up on the screen to remember it. Because it's going to lead us throughout this, this message. It's going to remind us that sometimes what we have here on earth is a side view. And it's not giving us all the details that we need to know for our faith to be emboldened and encouraged. And, and so this is a statement that's going to lead us. Here's why. While we see one thing on this earth, it may cause us to struggle in our faith. 
It may cause us to shape a worldview where we believe God is in control, where we believe God is fighting for us, and that will shape how we act in the present moment. It will shape the decisions that we make in the present moment. It will just shape how we decide to trust Him and to follow God in the present moment. This is spelled out for us in, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. I want to invite you to follow along with us. You can use one of the Bibles on the racks in front of you. If you're using your Bible app, there, all of our sermon notes are in there. And um, you can follow along. It's easy to find the book of Revelation, by the way. No excuses for you not to follow along in this one. Just go to the back, the last book, all the way back there, chapter 12, which are the chapters of the large numbers that you find. The smaller numbers are verses broken down. You may be just getting familiar or used to your Bible, um, or you want to. And so I always love to provide that direction uh, so that people know how to better use the Bible. But the, the letter of Revelation written for us, we find 12. We're going to read this in three different segments. This first segment is verses 1 through 9. And would you guys just follow along as I read this this morning? It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who would rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. This is God's word. We're going to finish that in just a few minutes, just a couple more verses. But what an what a amazing story, not only of Christmas, but it tells us of a war as a cosmic war, the war behind all wars that, that took place in heaven. Now, that's not what we see. And if it had not been for John getting the opportunity to see behind a spiritual veil and then commanding us over and over again, look, look, see this, don't miss it, know it, understand it, trust it, believe it, that's what we don't see. We wouldn't see that normally. What do we see? We see Mary. We see Joseph. We see a new baby. It's very, you know, very uh, two-dimensional for us. It's a very simple story for us, but I tell you, it wasn't a simple story for them, was it? I mean, I want you ladies to imagine yourself being extremely young, you're engaged, not married yet, and an angel comes to you and says, hey, by the way, you're pregnant and you're going to have God's baby, don't worry, it's going to be great. I mean, that's a scary, all kinds of anxiety, fear, concern brought there. 
You know, and then, of course, Joseph finds out about this, and he figures, well, my heart is absolutely broken because he doesn't believe her story, but my future doesn't have to be broken too, and he's going to exit quietly, but then the angel shows up and talks to him, and so now he's received a vision from an angel. You know, Mary has, nobody else have, but the, the two of them know that it's true, and so he has to make a decision. Will I shrink back from the plan that God has for me? You know, and, and give in to the integrity of the people and what they'll think about me? Or do I just say, you know, the heck with my future and do what God would desire? And, of course, he followed the plan that ultimately God had for him. And this is ultimately what we see. This is the vision that we get. And it's not very simple. In fact, a friend of mine, a Facebook friend of mine, I will call him, uh, shared something this week that I thought was hilarious and perfect in terms of trying to get our minds wrapped around this simple yet complex story. He was sharing some contextual stuff about what happened when the baby was actually born and where they were. And he goes on to say, the real question is, who would refuse to give up their bed for a woman great with child? Well, this is what happens when you do what you ought not do before you get married. Or at least this is what happens when God gives the Christ child to an unmarried but engaged woman. Uh, people make assumptions. You would too uh, if you were them. He goes on and quotes here and he says, An angel came to you in a dream. Okay, Joe, whatever you say. She's nice, but I wouldn't call her an angel after what you two did. It was a great statement that really is funny and comical and brings to light the reality of their situation. It may be very two-dimensional for us. It may be very simple for us, but it was extremely complicated for them. And I would recognize that you may have some personal situation that's going on in your life right now that you feel is complicated, that you want God to break into and to fix. But God actually caused this situation for Mary and Joseph. Think about that for a minute. Listen, in the end, here's what happens. Uh, They chose God's plan. Uh, They end up delivering their baby with animals watching. Uh, They're chased by a crazy and powerful ruler. Joseph becomes a carpenter in Nazareth, dies at an early age, and Mary is fortunate enough to live to the ripe old age to watch her son brutalized on a cross. This is some difficult stuff, but there's a powerful underlying story behind the story, right? One that we don't see. The woman, the dragon, the child. This is not the nativity that we grew up with. The white picket fence and the really cutesy scene where everything comes true and all of our prayers are answered in the perfect way. That's not what we see in this passage as we look at it. The real picture of struggle is here. You know, there's a real picture of desiring to have something in our lives, but yet God doesn't always answer in the perfect and most precise way. When the curtain is pulled back, we see a mighty battle in which God is fighting for his church, and he has succeeded in victory. But that's not always what we see, is it? Sometimes we struggle with what we see. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. What a powerful quote about this whole concept of the nativity, the Christmas story, and so on and so forth. He says, It is St. John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of St. Matthew and St. Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness, not domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. 
Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. That last line just grips me. Because it's true. You ever seen a little toddler on an absolute tyrant rant? You might have even seen an adult over the last couple of weeks doing that in a store as well. Imagine a being with significant power to where he can heavily influence our lives in more ways than we're willing to give him credit, which we'll talk about next week on that rant. And then you get a vision of Satan and what he's out to do and why there had to be war in heaven. And yet we're reminded and encouraged that that war was won by God on our behalf in many ways. That last line, it excites evil. This revelation, what God is doing. And and I wonder how many times Mary and Joseph felt like God had completely abandoned them. God, why did you give us this and leave us here? This this ruler's trying to kill us. We don't even have a an adequate place in which to give birth to this child. You know, now I've been left all alone as Joseph obviously uh, left this world a little bit earlier in age, perhaps, you know. And, and all these different times, I can't even begin to imagine how many times they prayed a prayer to where they said, God, fix this circumstance for me. Change this moment or this season. I know that there's a lot of other people who had to go through this. And in our context, we say, I know that Jesus had to suffer death on a cross, but I want you to change this for me in this way. I I can't even begin to imagine Mary and Joseph had to pray a lot of those prayers. And in a room full of this size, a lot of those prayers I imagine are represented here. And yet many of them have gone unanswered to leave us a little bit frustrated. And sometimes maybe our faith hanging in by a thread or struggling to shape our worldview to believe that God is behind the scenes fighting for us. And yet we see God worked out everything exactly to his plan as he would desire. Let me point out a couple of revelation facts. As Rob mentioned last week, if you weren't here last week, go on our app or on our website, listen to the message, amazing message to kick off this series. And as he pointed out a few revelation facts, we don't have time to deal with the the breadth of this amazing and powerful book. Let me just point out two little revelation facts here that will be helpful in reading the book on your own. Uh, And they're also important to what we're talking about here today. This imagery is powerful, right? There's a woman clothed in the sun, riding on the moon, and she has a crown of 12 stars. I mean, John moves so quickly, we don't even have time to stop and take in all of the images. He's just nonstop with this. And, and, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and call it out. What we know in our culture as an end times theory, that is a left behind theory, which is a Hollywood movie series and book series. It's just, I I typically don't do this from the stage because I'm not calling out an individual, I'm calling out an idea. It is just the wrong idea. It's motivated by money. It's motivated by can we sell more. It's not motivated by good, solid doctrine. And when people try and take things like this and say, well, this woman is this, or this woman is that, and we try to fit these details into some sort of scope in time, it's just not what John had intended. When you read the book of Revelation, the letter of Revelation, all of the language is Old Testament language. 
The reason why we miss this is because many of us in our current culture are Old Testament illiterate. We just don't think there's a lot of important things back there. But he's writing to a crowd that that's all they have. They don't have the New Testament like we do that's in the midst of being worked out and things of that nature. And so he takes them back to images to tell them things that they need to know to remind them and encourage them. I can't help but to see very clearly here Genesis 37, 9, when Joseph, who is a representative of God's people, God's family for all time, says, I had a dream. The sun, the moon, and the stars were bowing down to me. He's telling his father, his mother, and his brothers, God has put on me to be, you know, a part of his spiritual family and nation, the leader of all of that. And so essentially what John is saying to the people here is, throughout all time, this dragon pursues God's church, all of God's people. He never stops. He goes day and night. And sometimes that hinders us in such a way that we struggle with it and we wonder, does God really care for me? Does God really love me? Is the church really victorious? And John says, yes. Don't forget, I told you many, many times again, look, even though things may appear this way here on earth, look at what's going on in heaven. God has achieved a powerful and great victory. One more revelation fact. Look at the little details. Don't miss them. Because as we read those first nine verses of Revelation 12, you'll notice that it said the woman is a sign, the dragon is a sign, meaning it's pointing to something, someone, but the child is not a sign. Read it again for yourself. Matter of fact, that's your homework all week. Read this, first nine verses, and then the next two that we'll read, and just pray about it. Ask God to help encourage your faith and to grow you, to trust him, and to believe that things aren't always the way that they seem here on this earth, because the child is not a sign. He's real. He, he was an intimate being that came to be on this earth with us and did some powerful things for us as well. Now, let's conclude by reading a couple uh, more of these verses. We're going to read verse 10. You guys ready? Here we go. It says this, After the war has been announced and victory has been achieved, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of the Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. There's six sermons right there. I got two minutes. <laughs> I hate my job sometimes, you know? But there's, there's amazing stuff right there. Ultimately, there's been a war in heaven fought on behalf of the church of God. Victory has been won. It's not always the way that we think we see things isn't the way that it appears. And, and ultimately, look at what's been done for us. First of all, salvation. Salvation has been achieved for us in this war. Here's the thing. As I mentioned earlier, this room is full of people. I guarantee it's full of prayers that have left us disappointed and frustrated. Because God didn't fix the context. God didn't change the circumstances. Even if your faith is maybe hanging in there by a thread right at this moment, I want to say something to you. Even though God didn't fix the circumstances, even though God didn't change the context of your life and you had to live through that, you're here. There's a reason you're here hearing God's word. There's a reason why your faith is still hanging in there by a thread. Because you know something to be true. And here's, and here's the truth. 
The greatest miracle that any of us can ever receive is widely available. And yet sometimes we just pass it off as, oh, I got saved. Or, oh, I made a decision. And yet it's the most powerful thing. And it's a worldview shaping thing. It reminds us of a really difficult fact. And that is, we don't live on this earth forever. We were created to live forever somewhere, but here isn't there. And that we all leave at some time, some point, some fashion, and we go on to our forever home that God is designing and desiring for us. And this gift of salvation is the greatest miracle. This is why when we have baptisms on a Sunday, we love to cheer, we love to present it before the church because it's an exciting opportunity of somebody following the commands that Jesus has for them, uniting their life with Christ, and this is a miracle that we should celebrate. And while we're sometimes frustrated because God didn't give us the miracle that we wanted, we need to be reminded that he's given us the greatest miracle that we could ever have. Because even if he fixed that circumstance or that situation in that moment, Either way, we also have to face one of the most difficult things in our life. And that is either having to say goodbye to someone that we love or our own personal demise in some form or fashion. But the greatest miracle is, is we don't stay dead long. I don't know how long it is, if it's an instant, if it's just a complete and perfect transference from this world to the next or whatever it is. Uh, But God has provided for us this powerful worldview of salvation to where we can trust in it, be, be able to grow in it as well as, as follow it in so many different ways. Now, he also says something else that's amazing here. He's not only given us this miracle of salvation, he's given us a miracle of power. He's given us power. And yet sometimes we take that for advantage. We've received the power of God. Sometimes salvation is just reduced to hang in their theology. And the scriptures don't point out to us this motto of, oh, just hang in there. Life may be terrible. Things may be horrible. This may not go well in your life. But if you just hang in there, it's going to be okay. This is not the kind of theology. This is not the kind of teaching that we see presented to us in scripture. We see presented to us in scripture a teaching that the church is adorned with power. That individuals of the church have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, which is powerful, which transforms us and which changes us and which gives us the opportunity to have hope beyond any kind of circumstance and we have the opportunity to be told look what we see happening right here in front of me isn't what it appears because God has achieved victory in heaven on my behalf think about this when Jesus was talking to Peter and the disciples and he ultimately said the gates of hell will not prevail against it it being the church the gates are defensive posture He's telling the church, it's on the offensive. Why? Because we have power. Because we've been adorned with power. We've been adorned with power to change, not only in our own lives, to the presence of the Spirit, but to to bring about that change into our families, into the lives of other people, into our community as well. And so we need to stop thinking. We just need to hang in there. Another one I love is when Jesus sent out the 72 And they came back excited because he was like, man, listen, demons are answering us in your name. And Jesus said what? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What is he referencing? He's referencing the war in heaven. 
He's referencing when God had achieved victory for us, his church, and he had thrown Satan down out of heaven. And he says, now comes power for my church to endure on this earth in a way they've never endured before. And to demonstrate the presence of God in a powerful way. He goes on to talk about kingdom and reign as well. Don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But simply, let me just point out this. This comes back to the, I'm going to hang in there kind of idea, right? This comes back into the, well, what's to come? And I don't know about you, and I don't know how proud we can get sometimes about our own personal kingdoms or our national kingdom or whatever, but I guarantee you this, there's no kingdom that's going to stand when Jesus Christ comes and he touches it with his feet and all kingdoms of this world will be absolutely crushed. And every system of perverted justice will be crushed. There will be a king who is perfectly compassionate, perfectly righteous, perfectly just in every way. Everything that is evil that touches our life, that hurts us, that frustrates us, that causes us pain, it will be dealt with. And that kingdom is the one in which we get to live in forever. And it's that kingdom that Jesus tells us to pray in such a way and start living in such a way to where we bring it into some sort of understanding and presence even in this day. He said, pray, you know, my will be done on earth as well as it is in heaven. And we get that opportunity and that opportunity is made possible because Jesus is already reigning on the throne. His kingdom is already established and we have been adorned with the power of his spirit. We just look forward to that moment in which it becomes complete. It becomes perfect. And between this moment and that moment, we're continuing to learn these things and be reminded of these things so that we can live in such a way that it demonstrates these things. One last thing, which is one of the most powerful things here, and you caught it. That is every worthless accusation is thrown down. I shouldn't say that they're worthless accusations because the accusations about me are true. You imagine, envision this picture of Satan pacing the throne room of heaven day and night and he's mentioning your name. Look at how they sinned. Look at how they've been unfaithful. Look at how they said that they would be committed and they're not committed. Day and night and God said, now that we've achieved victory Satan, you are cast down out of my presence and you cannot accuse those who are committed to my son and me anymore. And he can accuse us all he wants. And here's the thing, he's at least truthful in one aspect, that is Satan is. His accusations are correct. His accusations are right. And, And sin leads to death. But where he wants to deceive us is to make us think that we're not good enough to receive the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ because we're just a failure. But no accusation stands before God as given through Satan when we stand there with Jesus Christ as our righteous guard, caregiver, and the one who loves us and compassionately has poured out grace on us. And that's, that's what we see presented here. And that's about six sermons. And I, I went five minutes, sorry. It, you know, all of this made possible for one reason. We celebrate it at Christmas every year. God came close. Here's the amazing irony of the war in heaven. It may have been fought in heaven, but it was won on earth. 
The war in heaven may have been fought in heaven, but it was won on earth, and it began with an infant child at Christmas time. And even though up to the very last minute, Jesus said, I don't want it. I don't want to do it. Take it away. This is going to be harder than I thought, but I'll do what you want, God. And he went to the cross, and he achieved a great victory. And the war was won by God on our behalf. And we do the same thing. I don't want it. I'm praying that my context changes. I'm praying that my situation changes. I'm like, no, I don't want to have to be like Mary or Joseph and walk through these difficult times or whatever it may be. And yet, when we see things as they are, we see that God is constantly fighting for us in our circumstances, in our situations, behind the scenes, in a powerful way. How is it that all of this is achieved? That's the last verse. Revelation 12, verse 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Victory was made possible in the war on heaven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The blood of the Lamb poured out his gift to us at Christmas time. But it was also made possible, which is powerful, by the word of the testimony. Those who boldly speak, those who believe in what John said, look, it may appear this way on earth, but this is really how it is in heaven. This is what God has established. This is how God is fighting for you. And based on that, They stood firm. They stood strong. There was nothing that came before them. There was no evil excited by the birth of Jesus Christ that they could not endure. And they stood strong based on their faith in God because of what he'd given through Jesus Christ and endured things that they never imagined they could endure knowing things aren't as they appear in this moment. A couple of thoughts really quick. In 1999, going a little bit ways back, I'm going to go further back in just a second, but 99, terrible tragedy. That was the year that the Columbine school shooting took place. It's tragedy even so this day when it happens, but for those of us in 99, we realize it was not only a tragedy, it was a significant shock. Nowadays, unfortunately, while it's still a great tragedy, it's not as much of a shock to us. Because this seems to be happening more and more and consistently. And so in 99 when this happened, just one month to the day later in Georgia, a young student, 15-year-old by the name of T.J. Solomon, walked into his high school with a 22 revolver and a 22 rifle and started shooting. Shot six of his classmates that were not fatally wounded. And then assistant principal Cecil Brinkley started approaching T.J. Solomon while he was still armed. And he just said, give me the guns. Give me the guns. He kept walking up to him until he got face to face with him and said, give me the guns, and TJ handed him over. Cecil had no idea that this kid wasn't just going to turn the gun on him and shoot him. But you know what? He walked forward with such great confidence, he didn't care about what was going to happen to him. He just had a, a significant sense of confidence that he needed to do what he did. Let me say this in light of that, that thought. Evil is overcome when we do not let the threats of this world intimidate us. 
Evil is overcome when we do not let the threats of this world intimidate us. And so often we are moved and motivated by the threats of this world because of what we see. But what we see isn't is always what it appears to be because God gives us a greater vision of how he's fighting for us and what he's doing for us. Another story that this reminded me of was Telemachus the monk going way back to the 4th century AD, walked into Rome... He got down onto the gladiator floor while two gladiators were fighting, got between them and stopped them from fighting. And the people were so angry that he interrupted their daily entertainment that they took up stones and stoned them to death. And it was a a little while later that the uh, Roman emperor decided to end the games because of that one event. He knew what the cost was. He didn't care about the cost. He was not intimidated in any way. He stood boldly for what he knew he needed to stand boldly for. In light of what he may have seen on this earth. Which makes me think, evil is overcome when our lives are guided by the truth that is unseen. And not ruled by the evil we do see. Just a really important truth this Christmas season that we need to focus in on. This is why John commands us over and over again to look as he draws our attention to the war God is fighting for us. There are significant battles going on in your lives within this room. Whether it's just facing the Christmas season, you know, we typically project on other people what's going on in our life. And so, you know, Many people are joyous during this time of the year. They get to see family, they get to do this, they get to do that. And some people are dealing with the death of a loved one. Some people are remembering what they would have been doing this time last year when they were with a loved one that they lost. Or maybe that they don't have anybody to celebrate with or whatever it might be. Sometimes the Christmas season, as well as any other seasons like this, can bring as much difficulty into somebody's life as it brings joy into your life. No matter what it is, whether it's something in this season and a season just recently passed or a season that you're not looking forward to that's coming ahead, all of us have different types of struggles. And I want you to be encouraged or to be reminded that things aren't always as they seem. As you're going through your struggle and maybe even a little angry with God in that moment, he is fighting, has fought, is fighting a battle behind the scenes on your behalf. Because that's what he thinks of you. That's what he thinks of us. That's what we're worth to him. Martin Luther wrote one of the most powerful hymns, in my opinion, based on this text. And The words are astounding. One of the verses says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His triumph, His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. That word is Jesus. Is Jesus the ultimate vision in your life? And is that what's guiding you each and every day? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this powerful story that is not the one that we often see this time of the year, but we pray that you would help us to learn lessons from it, to be encouraged, to trust you more through it. And Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.